0: Again, that's over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash Thryzer and be sure to enter the promo code STC. So we'll jump right into today's podcast session. Hey friends, we are on sabbatical from the STC podcast. This is my first sabbatical in seven years, but we will be back in April with brand new episodes of the STC podcast. In the meantime, there are a lot of things happening still with STC. Uh, among them is a brand new workshop that we put together for you that you can sign up at a date and time that works for you. If you are a successful private practitioner and interested in launching an online course, you can check out that workshop over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash online course workshop. Again, that's sellingthecouch.com forward slash online course workshop. Hello, hello, welcome to session 165 of Selling the Couch. Hope you're having a fantastic start to your day. I am kind of nerdily excited about today's podcast session, just because I feel like it's a topic that many of us struggle with, which is the stories that we tell ourselves around money, what we grew up with, and how that impacts us as business owners. For example, in the fees that we set, whether it's for individual clients, or maybe we do a workshop or retreat or something like that. My guest today is Deb Lyman. Deb is a licensed clinical social worker out in Oakland, California, and her private practice website is over at deblyman.com. Deb also works with lots of clinicians in our field to work through money stories and the narratives that we tell ourselves so that we can charge what we are worth and that also so that we honor both our clients as well as our businesses. We're going to cover a range of different things in today's podcast session, including why in the world is it so important to understand our own money stories? And then how do you actually set fees in private practice? How do we do that in a way that honors the money stories that we all have while honors also the emotions that come with setting fees while realizing that we are business owners and part of being a business owner is that we have to make profit in our businesses. And Deb actually conceptualizes money in a in just a very interesting way. So we're actually going to dive really deep into that, sort of the personal realm around money, the business realm, and the clinical realm. And then we wrap up with the top three tips that Deb has learned along the way when it comes to money. And just hearing these tips uh, when I was doing the, the actual interview, it was just, a I don't know, it was an eye-opener for me, and it was a good way to to look at things. Today's podcast is supported by Turning Point HQ. Uh, This is a brand new sponsor on the STC podcast, but David and, well, I call him Dave. Dave and I have gotten to know each other over the past two years. He was a previous STC podcast guest, and honestly, Dave is one of the most kind and generous and helpful people that I know. And with sponsors, you guys know I'm, I'm super discretionary in terms of who I share Uh, the STC audience with. And Dave, when uh, we talked about sponsorship, he was one of those people, I had zero doubt. And so Dave is a financial planner, uh, specifically for therapists. And his whole mission is to transform your relationship with money. I know for many of us, uh, money is something that, and the money stories that we have often been told It impacts a lot of how we do business. It impacts how we approach things like retirement, investing, and all of those things. And Dave understands that. And he comes from just a very heart-centered place to help us build out an investment in a retirement portfolio. Dave actually has this really cool guide. Uh, It's absolutely free to download. And it's called The Seven Money Mistakes That Hold Therapists Back. You can find it over at sellingthecouch.com. Forward slash turning point HQ. And that guide has a lot of the things that, that can hold a lot of therapists back. And actually, if you go through that link as well, you get $200 off any service that Dave provides. So we'll get right to today's podcast session. Here's my conversation with Deb Lyman from private practice consultation.com. Hey, Deb, welcome to Selling the Couch.
1: Good morning, Melvin. It's good to be here.
0: Yeah, no, it's uh, good to connect with you. I, I feel like when you first reached out about this topic, just working through money shame and working through our money issues, I feel like I could have probably a hundred more episodes on this topic. Yeah. Just because I don't know. I don't know what it is, but I feel like particularly our field struggles a lot with money shame, money stories, charging our worth, trying to figure out fees, all of those different things.
1: We definitely do. Yeah. When I was thinking about what to share today, I thought, oh, we cannot. There's many more hours. We could talk all day about it for sure.
0: Right. No. Absolutely. I felt like. I mean, we're gonna go really dive deep into this, but I don't know. I think for me, as I think about my own money stories, I feel like one thing that was really has resonated for me is this is my narrative, right? How can someone be in the helping professions and charge above X amount? Right. So that's something I know that I struggle with. Yeah. I wanted to actually start at the very top, which is we all have different money stories, right? Some of these could be from childhood. Some of these could be things that we picked up growing up, things, you know, maybe even college or grad school classes, things, professors or mentors or things that they said to us, maybe even innocuously, right? But why is it so important to understand those money stories?
1: You know, as clinicians, we understand maybe better than anybody how much our unconscious beliefs and stories can shape our reality, right? That's like the basis of our work. So our money stories, there may be aspects of it that we're very conscious of those moments in graduate school. You know, I heard in graduate school, as a social worker, you meet the clients where they're at, which I then really took to mean you don't charge more than they want to pay ever. But those money stories, they're operating and influencing us whether we want to know about them or not. So since they're already influencing our business and the decisions we make in our practice, and even how we relate to the idea of being a business owner, it really makes sense to really start to understand what those money stories are. So many of them have conflicting messages that we need to be able to identify and understand, Oh, okay, well, that's why I'm so stuck in that area. I'm working from two conflicting messages. And yeah, everybody's got their own unique money story. It's influenced by our personal psychologies, our class background, our parents' class backgrounds, our culture, our gender, our family dynamics, and we add to that story along the way with all of our experiences and college, graduate school, starting a business. You know, we're constantly reworking and adding to parts of that story.
0: Yeah, no, I mean I think all of what you said is just so good and so rich. I there were a couple of things you said and I just wanted to kind of go a little bit deeper. You said so it sounds like part of why, and even I, I'm just going to be completely honest. I think for, for a long time, even, you know, when I entered the field, I, I became fully licensed in 2012. And when I entered the field, I think I had all these narratives and I, I was working in a group practice and I just remember like a lot of it was very like unconscious for me. It was like a very emotional part of setting fees, what I thought I was worth, and all of those different things. And I like that idea of actually, if this already exists out there, right, in our own psyche, why Mm -hmm. not just bring it to light?
1: Right. I mean, we're so uh, self-reflective and so introspective in so many other areas. It's just taken for granted. In some case, in graduate school, we're going to look into our own family dynamics. But there's a way with money, we don't want to look at it. We don't want to talk about it. And it's it's really taboo in our field, I think, especially to talk about it. So it's so great that we're digging in and opening up and hopefully giving permission for more people to talk overtly about it. If we're in private practice, we're going to be in a business. And as much as we may not want to think about it that way, that's what it is. So money's a part of that. We're not doing it to break even. We're doing it to serve other people, but also be able to live a good life and be replenished and nourished in our own personal lives so that we can continue to show up for the work. And that requires money. Yeah.
0: As you were saying that, I was just thinking, especially for our field, right? Especially in the nature of what we do, if we don't seek to understand our money stories, and if we don't have some sort of understanding of them, it definitely impacts us, not as just business owners, but the work that we do as well, right? If all we're worried Absolutely. about is, you know, where's the next... Am I charging enough? Those kind of things. So,
1: absolutely. Yeah. And the other thing I just wanted to say about our money stories, you mentioned that, you know, we as therapists maybe have some particular struggles. And I think that's really true. That if many of us became therapists because we were caretakers in our family of origin. And so we were really good at putting other people's needs before our own. And now, so we tend to have a hard time with our own wants and needs and our own desires and when we have to bring in the fee we bring in money that's really directly bringing in our own wants and our own needs our desires into the therapy so it really starts to challenge this identity that we grew up with and that we've kind of get a little attached to of us being helpers and good and generous you know then there's the sense of oh but i have needs (laughs) you know Mm. I i want too
0: Right. I, um, it's been more than a couple of years now, but I took Dave Ramsey's financial peace university. And one of the lessons in there, he said this line, which is like really resonated for me since he said money is amoral. And I just thought it's an interesting thing because I, I feel like for us, there is like a sense of we place like a very deeper meaning into it. Right. So. Example, if we charge higher or we make more money, right, somehow we're not good people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If that sort of makes sense. You know, the other thing I I wanted to just actually circle back to one thing you said earlier, because I just thought that's really interesting, because I feel like a lot of people struggle with with this, is you said there's kind of conflicting stories, and that can really impact us. And not at all to put you on the spot, but like what would be an example of that where, you know, we might have here heard one thing and then another thing, and then that actually creates more stress.
1: Well, you know, I'll just give a personal example. I was raised with messages that I think are kind of conflicting. On the one hand, I think I was really given this message that somebody else was going to take care of the money. You know, some sort of expectation. I don't know that it was so overt, but it was definitely there that I would marry somebody who was a professional and then I'd be taken care of. And I was also given a message that I should be independent and successful. And, you know, my parents wound up getting divorced and they had really different approaches and attitudes around money. So just even reconciling those two influences has been a conflict. So, you know, there's, I think lots of subtle ways. It's like, wait a second, somebody else is supposed to do this. I'm not supposed to have to do this. And on the other hand, I'm supposed to be really good at this. For
0: you, like, what has it been like in a way to like walk in that tension, right? Because it is, it's two different messages and two different understandings. And cause I feel like a lot of us struggle with this, which is we get these differing messages. And then on one hand, when we're trying to figure out things like setting fees, it's almost like you literally have these two experiences, one on each shoulder, and they're like talking, you know, at us. And we're like, uh, which one do we decide on? So,
1: Right well, I don't know that there's a way necessarily to get rid of the tension. This is some of why it's so important to do our own work. you know some of that is is some individuation you know what of these beliefs that I grew up with actually still work for me and and what do I want to let go of you know that the sense of that somebody was going to magically take care of me financially that's not a belief I want to hold on to so That coatings up. You have to be aware. Oh, there's that old thing again. There's the fantasy. There's the wish that somebody's going to do it for me. You know, so when we're setting fees and we're noticing all this tension, I think it's a good opportunity to slow down and turn inward and say, okay, what's operating here? You know, what beliefs are running the show and are they true?
0: Yeah. I mean, it's just like such a subtle thing, but even taking that pause to step back instead of just assuming or, unconsciously just walking in some sort of reality or belief that, you know, we have. Mm -hmm. I wanted to actually go a little deeper into fees because I feel like setting fees, I can't, I mean, you have seen this, I've seen this, the amount of conversations around how do I set a fee for my practice? How do I, you know, all of those different things. It's definitely setting fees can be an emotional process for all of us because of the stories we have. So how do we, and again, this could be probably a whole other episode, but how do we Uh set fees in a way that honors our emotions, our stories? But then, like you said, the reality is we're business owners and we need to make profit in our business. This could be
1: a six-part episode, probably, for sure. Well, and I'll just tell you, you know, I started my practice in 2004, and when I set my fees, I was coming out of a training clinic, and I set my fees based on this really vague idea of what I thought was, like, quote-unquote, appropriate for somebody with my level of experience, which basically meant I set a fee that wouldn't make other people uncomfortable, And at the time, I would have called it being accessible to lots of people or I would have called it, you know, not being too big for my britches. When I look back, what it really was was fear and self-doubt and a lack of information about money and how business works. So don't do what I did. If anybody's starting out in their practice, don't do that. Where you really need to start is with the numbers, There's going to be all sorts of feelings that come, but you need to start with the numbers and do the pretty easy math, actually, of figuring out what are your business expenses, what do you need to earn from your practice, putting in a buffer for taxes, dividing that whole number by the number of sessions you plan to do each year, and boom, that's the number you need to have your average fee be. So if you take insurance and it's less than that, your average fee for, your full fee for cash pay clients needs to be higher than that. And if you're a cash pay practice and you're going to do some sliding scale, you know, that's the average fee when you do that math. Now, when we see that number, when we do the math, we can have all kinds of feelings. And that's where the emotional work comes in, right? There might be doubt. I don't know if I'm worth that much. I don't know if anybody will pay that much. Or there might be overwhelm. I like that number. I want to earn that number, but I have no idea how I'm going to make that happen. There might be guilt around not being able to be available to everybody. The conflict might come up. There might be shame that comes up. There might be excitement and all sorts of longing and desire. And then maybe a dash of shame that comes up immediately in response to being excited at the idea of making some money. So the first thing, once you start with the numbers and then all those emotions come up is to just have a lot of compassion for yourself, you know, put your hand on your heart and take a deep breath and know there's a lot of reasons why this is scary for so many of us. You know, as I said, so many of us grew up focusing on other people's needs and we're very identified with being good and generous and of service. And also we have these other desires. We want to be our own bosses and be in charge of our own schedule and work with who we want to work with. And it is a hard thing to figure out. So having some compassion for that, you know, we do get to be our own boss in private practice. So why not be a super supportive, encouraging boss who inspires you to do your best work? And then also to just get curious about the emotions because those emotions are all tied to the money stories and probably need to get unpacked. The shame might be shame about being ambitious which could be connected to cultural messages or messages we received about how we're supposed to behave according to our gender. The fear that comes up might really be fear of being envied by other people. So, you know, let's say you grew up with a narcissistic parent, you know, having something, having more can be pretty threatening. Mm. So there might be fear that's connected to family of origin dynamics. So, you know, it's about the money and it's not about the money. And I think we as therapists are are so primed. If this was something that was happening with our clients or patients, we would have so much compassion for their struggle and say, okay, let's understand it more. Let's get deeper. Let's get underneath what all the distress is. And we need to do that with ourselves too. And, you know, the other thing is, we get to take this one step at a time. You know, if you're coming out of a training clinic and the average fee was like $25 to $50 and then you're in private practice and you run the numbers and you realize, oh, I need to charge $160. That's a huge jump to go from asking for $50 that actually isn't even going to you to going to $160 where somebody's going to be writing a check or handing you the money. To directly to you. And internally, we need to create some internal space for that. So I think we get to do that incrementally. You know, you can raise fees for new patients whenever you want. So you can grow into, you're not going to raise your fees with your current patients, you know, more than once a year. Really, I don't. But with new patients, you could say, okay, let's say, I'm coming out I'm just starting practice I know I need to charge 160 I've only ever gotten paid 70 that's super uncomfortable in in a 6 month stretch you can say your fees 100 then your fees 110 then your fees just grow into being able to say you know my fees 160 or my fees 190 or my fees 200 whatever it is be able to say it without a huge wave of doubt and anxiety following because then you're more likely to say yeah, my fees one sixty. But for you, I could slide. It's fine. Whatever you want, you know. Or when you're talking to potential referrals on the phone, they can hear if you're not really, you know. They could pick that up if you're not really sure that that's what you want to charge. You think my fees one sixty? You know, as a question. So I think you know, knowing what the emotions are, getting really curious about what's underneath the emotions and what stories, and starting to unpack that, having tons of compassion for yourself all along the way and doing this incrementally you know every time I tell my consultees anytime they want to do a fee raise that feels like a little bit of a stretch for them I say okay plan to do it next month and every day this month when you wake up and say my fee is and you know with the new fee mm-hmm. and just get used to how that is and notice what comes up and give yourself some time to work through all the internal conflicts. so when it's time to actually say it on the phone you're aware of what's going on for you
0: I'm so glad you mentioned that growing into it piece because I think that's one aspect I think that scares a lot of clinicians. They do the math and they come up with the numbers and they're like, Oh my gosh, my fee should be 160. I've never charged more than what you said, like, you know, 70 or 80. And I think that's right. Like the key thing I think I take away from that is see what it is. It's okay. See what the ideal fee should be. It's okay to grow into it. The key thing is that. We don't just stop at that low tier, right, that we're used to just because it feels comfortable or it feels safe or whatever, right. Those right. You
1: can't just like put your head in the, the sand and say, forget it, I don't like that math. I'm gonna do whatever I wanna do and then be surprised or or worse resentful that you're not making more money. You know, the other really important emotion to consider when it comes to setting fees is resentment. Mm-hmm. Because often I think You know, I work with a lot of folks who will do sliding scale and I encourage people actually to look at their structure and figure out how many slots they can actually allot to doing sliding scale if they're going to do it rather than just kind of slide for everybody because I just think it's easier for us to stay on track with our income goals and be solid about that and doing it that way. But with those conversations where there might be a slide. Often we're in that place of scarcity when we're building practices. We might not be full. There's this fear of like, let me just get anybody in. And there's that belief of I'm supposed to be good and generous. And all those can kind of conspire together for you to wind up agreeing to a fee that actually on some level in your gut, you know, isn't going to work. It's not going to work for you personally, and it's not going to work for your business. Mm. And that then breeds resentment. And clinically, resentment is going to undermine therapies. It's terrible for a good therapy, a good depth-oriented relational therapy for you to be resenting your client. You know, Then you wind up if, with all these kind of in the background unconscious beliefs of, oh, well, I slid for them, they should be grateful. I slid for them, they shouldn't be a difficult patient. And then when they show up with their symptoms and their reasons that they're in treatment and showing up as they are, your resentment gets in the way of being able to actually really meet them where they are.
0: I'm so glad like you said that because I think the resentment piece is I mean, that's the manifestation of if we don't own our money stories, if we don't charge our worth, right? We don't we end up not doing good work. And I, I would even say it, it may actually be like a self fulfilling prophecy, right? If our fears are the private practice won't work out, right, we end up undercharging people sense that we get resentment and then it you know it's almost like a cyclical pattern or it just builds on top of one another
1: right yeah and then there's proofs you're feeling resentful you're burnt out and you're not earning enough so it's harder from that place to start to turn things around the sooner you can really be aware of what your money story is and what the conflicting messages are and what all the emotions are around them the better able you're going to be not just to earn good money and enough money to live comfortably and be replenished and do, but you're also going to be able to do better work. And then when you know that your half of this stuff is taken care of, then you can enter into incredibly rich territory clinically because our clients all have a money story too. You know, when there's a request for a fee reduction or somebody says, actually, I think I maybe want to come go to to every other week or There's some acting out that the fee is a major part of the frame and the frame and the challenges to the frame are moments where we can really dig into our clients' relational world and what money means for them relationally and psychically.
0: No, absolutely. I Just wanted to shift a little bit because I feel like this aspect is something I was very fascinated with because you speak about three money realms in private mm-hmm. practice, right? And would you mind just like quickly sharing that? So the three are the personal realm, the business realm and the clinical realm. Would right. you mind just quickly sharing with us like what those exactly mean and and why they're important?
1: Sure. It's just how I conceptualize all the different ways money operates in our practices. And originally I had it as sort of like a triangle with each realm being you know, one at leg of the triangle, but now I'm kind of rethinking it where I think it's more like a Venn diagram with the business and the clinical overlapping and, mm-hmm. and both of those circles contained within the personal, which is impacting all of it. And then maybe even we'll have a, another bigger circle, which is our culture, you know, we're in this kind of capitalist, individualist culture, and that is impacting all of us at the same time too. But yeah, really briefly, the the personal realm is a lot of what we're talking about already. Our personal money stories and histories, our own beliefs, you know, our stuff and our strengths and weaknesses when it comes to handling money. I mean, some of us are are really great at at tracking and really great at planning. It includes all of that too. The business realm is more of the concrete aspects of money. It's our tracking systems, it's our profit and loss statements, how we do our books, how we structure our business, whether or not we'll take insurance, whether or not we'll have a sliding scale or hold some spots at a reduced rate, whether we accept credit cards or not, what our cancellation policies are, all of the kind of policies and structures and systems that support the business. And the clinical realm is understanding how to engage with issues of money and the fee in particularly as a way to deepen and support a therapy and understanding how avoiding the topic can actually lead to enactments or a real deadening of what could otherwise be a very deep therapy. Uh, It's the place where our subjectivity and our clients' subjectivity meet and where we need to be able to consider both. So it's where we're thinking about Money is a symbolic object, you know, representative of all sorts of things as well as a concrete reality for our clients. So it's interesting.
0: So I guess let me, uh, the the clinical realm, if I just understood correctly, it's almost like the place where we work through those aspects of culture, the personal realm and the business realm. Is that
1: right? Yeah. The clinical realm is, you know, how you think about your money in your client's lives mm-hmm. and how that shows up. So what I would call something in the clinical realm might be, for example, this just came up with a consultee who had a situation that I think is really typical. You know, you work weekly and then at some point the client says, you know, I don't sure I can afford it. And I think I want to go to every other week. And if we are reluctant to get into money conversations, we are much more likely to say, okay, that's fine. Maybe you don't really think it's the best thing for their therapy, but you don't want to have the conflict and you don't feel confident in having a conversation about money. So you just agree and maybe then resent it. If you're clear on your own money stuff, if you're able to then go into these clinical conversations, you get to have a much more interesting conversation with your client about All sorts of things. What does that mean? Yes, there's the concrete reality and maybe that is the whole piece of it, but maybe it's concrete and at the same time on another level. Is there ambivalence about getting closer to the therapist? Is there ambivalence about digging in? Is it a way to titrate some of the difficult emotions that have been coming up in the therapy? Is there fear of what might be coming up next? I mean, it could be all sorts of things. And if you're able to inquire about what's happening for them, on a relational level, on a symbolic level, and not just take the concrete as the full story, no matter what happens with the frequency, there's a potentially really important conversation about how the client's relating to themselves. Do they value themselves? How they're relating to the therapy and you as the therapist, right? It's an entry point into some really important conversations.
0: Yeah, no, that's awesome. I, It's like such a good way of looking at it. And I I don't know. Just circling back to what we were talking about at the beginning, I feel like if we don't work through or even own some of our money stories, right, some of those realms that clients may be presenting with, we may not be able to access them just because we have not dealt with our own stories and.
1: Right. Well, and it's just like sex or substance use. You know, if we are not able to look at our own relationship, our own sexuality, our own relationship to sex, or our own relationship to substances, or know what our own biases or beliefs are around those things. We're going to avoid those conversations in our therapy sessions, much to the detriment of the client.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I feel like you have such a wealth of knowledge when it comes to fees, just in your own journey working with doing lots of consultations on fees if you could think about the top three tips that you've learned along the way when it comes to setting fees what would those be
1: the biggest one is start with the numbers start with the math and then respond really compassionately to all the emotions that come up and if you need to grow into it take it incrementally but start with the numbers don't ignore the numbers there's a lot of important information in the numbers. The second thing I would say is if you do any kind of sliding fee or do any fee adjustments for folks sometimes, you need to really stay connected to what your current average fee is and make sure that that it's what it needs to be before you start sliding your fee again. So especially if you're in a place where your caseload is lower, because when we're in scarcity, all this stuff is so much harder to stay on top of before you call people back, do some quick math and see what your average fee is. It will make you a lot less likely to slide when in your guts, you know, you can't slide. And when the numbers are telling you, you can't slide. It's like having a meeting with the accounting department of your business. Except where you're the accountant. And and you're the accountant, right? You've got to be all these things, but you got to know which chat to wear at which time. Right. So if you're in a clinic and the clinician comes to you, or the supervisor or clinician comes to you and says, I have this great client. I really want to see them. And the supervisor's job to be like, we can't afford to do that right now, actually. I know you really want to. I know they deserve it, but we can't afford it right now. Mm -hmm. You have to say no. Right. You've got to be both people in that conversation. You've got to be the clinician and the accounting department and the supervisor.
0: That's a good way of looking at it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And another thing I would say is what I liked, especially around dealing with this sense of scarcity and avoiding money conversations or avoiding fee conversations, practice as if there is a line of your ideal clients outside the door waiting to work for you, waiting to work with you, to work for you. So I'm not sure what that slip is about, but...
0: Yeah, no, that is such, I mean, it's a good way to look at it because I think one, in a way it honors the scarcity mindset that all of us struggle with. But then two, I think it speaks to more of a growth or an abundance mindset, right? Knowing who we do the best work with and knowing that it's just a matter of time before those ideal clients find us versus, oh my gosh, I'm never going to you know, find my ideal clients.
1: All right. And that tip works for getting into conversations, all kinds of difficult conversations where there's this fear of, oh, if I bring this up, they're going to be upset and leave. Hmm. but you know, on some other level, that's exactly the thing you need to bring up in order to really do good work. You have to practice as if it doesn't matter if they leave or not, you're there to do good work. Hmm. And you need to trust that there's going to be more people. So just pretend there's a line of people outside the door and show up in the way that you need to show up. And the last thing I would say is learn more, you know, take some time to work on your relationship with money It's an important relationship in your life and it deserves some attention. So learn more, read, get consultation, talk about it with people, start somewhere. I'll am i be doing my deep dive as an online class and I'll also be doing a study group on money. So those are two options, but there's millions of options in terms of just dedicating some time each week as part of your development as a clinician in private practice to work on your own relationship to money.
0: Yeah, no, awesome. We'll definitely link to that in the show notes, which you guys can find over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash session and the number 165. Deb, thank you again
1: for doing this.
0: What are some of the best ways that folks can get in touch with you?
1: Sure. If you're interested in thinking more about this money stuff, the best way to reach me is through my website, www.privatepracticeconsultation.com. And you can also email me deb at deblyman.com. And on that, if you want to just have a little compassionate fun, I put up a little quiz. Are you under earning in your practice? And it'll take you through a lot of self-sabotaging behaviors that are really common among therapists. And You could do a little assessment and see how you're doing. And there's some suggestions on next steps there.
0: Awesome. Sounds like an awesome resource. Thank you again for doing this.
1: So much fun, Melvin. Really great to talk to you.
0: Likewise. Have a great rest of your day.
1: You too. Bye. Bye. Hi
0: there. Hope you enjoyed my conversation with Deb. And I really hope that it has given you space to one, explore your money stories, as well as own those money stories, because we all have them as a means of understanding them so that ultimately we can be business owners that serve our clients, but also serve ourselves and our roles as business owners. Deb mentioned a number of resources, and again, you can find that on the show notes page over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash session and the number one, six, five. And as I was reflecting on this conversation, I just wanted to share one thing that that was helpful for me. And it's one of those tips that Deb offered, which is start with the numbers, then work through the emotions. If I'm completely honest, a lot of times in working through my own money story, what I have done is focus on my emotions and the emotions get so overwhelming that I lose sight or ignore the numbers. And I feel like for me, it's such a a journey, a slow journey, sometimes kind of two steps forward, three steps back. But I think the key thing, what Deb was saying was that if you start as business owners, if we start to look at our numbers, The emotions are still there, but the emotions don't dictate the actions that we take. Before we wrap up, just wanted to take a moment to thank the team over at Turning Point HQ for supporting today's podcast session. So Turning Point HQ is the result or is the brainchild of David Frank, who is a financial planner for therapists. And as I've mentioned before, uh, Dave and I actually have gotten to be good friends just an awesome person to work with. And one of the things that Dave will help us to do is create a holistic and an intentional retirement and of an investing plan that supports you to lead a really awesome life. Because ultimately I think for many of us, it's, we invest right to create the life that we want and uh, it's to do it in an intentional way. And Dave, honestly, is just one of the most like heart-centered folks that I've ever met and you're absolutely going to be in good hands with him. You can learn more about Turning Point HQ and the awesome services that they provide over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash Turning Point HQ. And if you go through that link, uh, Dave actually created this seven financial mistakes that therapists make. It's a free downloadable and uh, you can download it right there. And then you also get off any of your any of the services that Dave provides. Be sure to mention that you heard it on STC. Have a great rest of your week and I'll see you next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to the selling the couch podcast. For more great content and to stay up to
1: date, visit www.sellingthecouch.com.
0: Hey friends, hope you enjoyed today's podcast session and if you are in a season where you've been thinking long and hard about launching an online course, just wanted to invite you to our brand new workshop titled Behind the Scenes of a Small Launch to a $300,000 Online Course. You can sign up over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash online course workshop. We try to do a really good job with this workshop. We updated a whole bunch of new material and Some of the things that you'll learn in this workshop are the five key steps to take your course from an idea to generating income, some of my top gear and software recommendations in order to launch your online course, and the top three mistakes that I made with my Healthcasters podcasting course, which I launched back in 2015 and have been fortunate to have over 272 students in that course. Again, you can sign up over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash online course workshop